Aren't you grateful for the part that he played in our story by offering his story for our lives? His story is just so amazing. And you know, we think about it. Um, his story is one of redeeming humanity back to God because man couldn't do it on his own. Man tried to be good enough to get God to love him, but we couldn't do it. We couldn't be nice enough. We couldn't be friendly enough. We couldn't be moral enough because it took someone that was perfect to pay the price to be able to reconnect us with God because we were disconnected because of our sin. But Jesus did it. But when he did it, let me tell you, he, he finished it. It was complete. And this is his story. And there were prophecies given about his story hundreds and, and thousands even of years before Jesus ever showed up on the scene. Matter of fact, in the book of Isaiah, in the 53rd chapter, the prophet Isaiah writes, some 600 years or so before Christ ever appeared on the scene, this is what he said about Jesus. He said, surely he has borne our griefs and he has carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know, today we celebrate the resurrection from the dead of Jesus Christ. We talk about the light that shines in the darkness. We speak about hope. We speak about truth. We sing about the goodness of God. We sing about the peace of God. And we sing how He wants to take all of our heavy burdens and He wants to lift them. But the problem is, is that many of us, even though we hear those things and we sing those things and we say those things and we celebrate those things on Easter, many of us are still wounded. Many of us are still restless. Many of us are still worried and stressed out because we feel hopeless and we feel very much in darkness. And we wonder and we ask this question, did Jesus really carry our burdens and did he really set us free? Did he really do it? Because here's the thing that a lot of times you and I will say, we'll say, how do we know that he really carried our burdens away? We sing about it in church and we talk about it, but you want to know, I can't see Jesus, but you want to know what I can see? I can see the divorce papers that I was served last week. You know what I can see? I can see the red ink in my bank account and I can see that negative dash next to the number on my bank statement. I can see that. You want to know, I, can, I don't feel freedom. We sing about freedom is here, but I don't feel freedom. But you want to know what I do feel? I feel stressed out and I feel ready to give up and I'm tired of going to bed every night with knots in the pit of my stomach because I'm worried about this or that or I'm trying to fix this or that and I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm ready to give up because of my boss, my job, my, my, my spouse, my kids, just my life. You don't know what I've been through. I don't feel forgiven. But I do feel the pain and the shame of what happened in my childhood. The, the hurt of my parents' divorce or the abuse that I suffered. Or those negative words that were said to me. Or how others treated me when I grew up. And how I was pushed to the side and how I was an outcast and how people would tell me I was worthless and that I was no good and that I was junk because I wasn't like this person or that person. I'll tell you what, that's reality to me, Pastor. So we can sing about freedom. We can sing about forgiveness. We can talk about hope in the light of the world. But I'm telling you, this is where I'm at today. This is what's real to me. This is what I feel. This is what's real. This is what I'm going through. This is what I'm dealing with. And you've got to understand something. 
the biggest lie that you and I would like to be fed to believe would be that Jesus doesn't get it. That somehow he's disconnected from trials. That he's somehow disconnected from the way we feel. That he somehow doesn't get it. And that he's not as real to us as our current problems or our current reality that we may be facing. But folks, let me tell you something. Trials are a part of his story. Trials were a part of Jesus' story. Because I want you to think about this. Think about this this morning. When Jesus was conceived, he was already in the middle of a big trial. What trial was he in? Well, his mom was a virgin. And he was already being persecuted because people would say, Hey, Mary, how'd that happen? God did it. How are you supposed to get someone to believe that? How are you supposed to sell that to somebody? No, Mary, you've been sleeping around. No, I promise, really, God did this. I promise, it's, 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 I, I didn't make a mistake. I didn't mess up. I'm, I'm still a virgin. Yeah, right. Jesus was already being persecuted. Oh, well, maybe it will get easier for Jesus once he actually arrives and he's actually born. Yeah, sure, it got a lot easier for him because he wasn't born in a hospital like probably most of us in this room were, where there were doctors and nurses that were attending to our needs. No, he was born in a barn that smelled like the stench of animals. He was born in a manger. He went, you know, we make these manger scenes and they're cute. Manger's nasty. There was nothing cute about the birth of Jesus so far as where he was born. There was nothing glamorous about it. There was nothing pretty about it. It stunk. There were animals there. Smelled like feed and smelled like just dirty animals. That's where he was born. And then, oh, maybe it's going to get a little easier for him. No, because then King Herod decides that he wants to kill all of the children searching for Jesus, the one that's the coming king. And so he sends all of his soldiers out and begins killing all of the children that are under a certain age. And Jesus had to flee for his life with his parents. He was in a trial before he could even speak the words mama or dada. Before he could ever even walk, he was already being persecuted. Oh, well, then he's God. He's the savior of the world. It's going to get easier for him when he gets an, an adult. Sure, it got real easy for him because he was rejected and despised by his neighbors and his friends and some of his family. They didn't believe him. Oh, well, maybe the, the church would accept him. Yeah, those are the ones that are going to love him. No, he was despised by the church. He was despised by those religious leaders that were in the synagogue. Matter of fact, they would always chase him around trying to catch him in a lie. Or they would always try to talk down to him or, or challenge him on something. Jesus, well, you know, if you're really who you say you are, then this and this and this. Jesus was persecuted by Satan himself in the desert. After he'd been fasting and he was at his weakest point, fasting for 40 days, he'd had nothing to eat. And here comes Satan and he tempts him. And then you think, well, maybe it's going to get a little better for him. But then he was called a blasphemer, one who claimed to be a god. And so the religious leaders of that day, the men who spoke the oracles of God in the synagogues, the, the one that came and would speak the oracles of God to the people that would gather in the temple were the very ones that were trying to have him stoned because he claimed to be God and they didn't believe that he was who he said he was. So Jesus understands a thing or two about trials because all of these things happened before he was ever beaten, before the nails ever pierced his hands and his feet and he was hung on the cross. All of this stuff and more happened. So Jesus understands our trials. He understands our difficulties. He understands our temptations because trials were a part of his story. Trials are real. 
Wounds are real. Being in darkness is very real. But as long as you hold on to that darkness and you hold on to those wounds, they're never going to heal. They're never going to heal. You'll never find that healing that you're looking for. Remember we read Isaiah 53 and verse 4 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried. Look at somebody say carried. Oh, like five people said, y'all didn't even know. Come on. <laughs> Don't play with me. Uh, look at somebody say carried. carried. There you go. He carried our sorrows. Think about that. He carried our sorrows. It was prophesied about Jesus that before he ever came on the scene, hundreds of years before that he would carry our sorrows. He would be the one to carry our sorrows. Now that word sorrows just doesn't mean sadness. But the actual word that was penned by the prophet Isaiah actually means that it is mental, mental, physical, and emotional anguish or stress or frustration or anger or pain or affliction or mourning or grief or wounds. When Jesus carried our sorrow, he did much more than just carry our sadness. He carried the anger, the pain, the anguish, the wounds that you and I have been dealt with. He already carried those things thousands of years ago before you were ever born. He carried those things on himself because carrying our sorrows was part of his story. See, carrying those things were part of his story. But the problem is, is that too often we carry our sorrows. We carry the burden of our pain all too often. And it shows up and we can see it in ourselves and in other people when we find it difficult to receive love even when we're surrounded by people that love us. You can be surrounded by people that love you and they can tell you all day long, I love you, I'm here for you, I care for you, and it means nothing. Why? Because you're carrying your sorrows. You're carrying those burdens. And so you, you, you're not positioned to receive love. You actually are rejecting those that are trying to love you. You don't believe it. You don't want to receive it because you're so burdened down and heavy laden with sorrows. We find it hard when we're in that position to truly forgive. It's not easy to let things go and to forgive. Matter of fact, we like to hold things over people's heads because how bad they hurt us, what they did to us. I'm going to make you pay. God's going to get you for that. Don't mess with me. You hurt me. And so I'm going to let you know that you hurt me. And a lot of times we like to let people know that they hurt us by hurting them back. And we inflict pain on other people. And all it shows about us is that we ourselves are full of pain and sorrow and anger and hurt. And we're carrying, we're shouldering our own sorrows. It shows when we lash out at others. When we hate ourselves or we become very irritable and we have no tolerance for other people. We're very impatient. We get frustrated very easily, mainly because we're frustrated with ourselves. We're our own biggest critics. And we get so frustrated and down on ourselves because we feel like we're never good enough, but everybody else is slacking. And it's somebody else's problem. And it's somebody else's fault. Things would be better if so-and-so wouldn't have done this. Things would be better if this would have happened in my life or if this wouldn't have happened. Things would be better. You don't know what I've gone through. And we point the finger and we point the blame. But really, what it all boils down to is that we're trying to carry the weight and the burden of our sorrows. We're trying to shoulder the hurt and the wounds. We give little grace to others. We demand perfection from them and ourselves. 
We may feel a lack of meaning or purpose in life, but this is what happens when we carry our sorrows because often we pay way more attention to the problems than we do the solution. We focus much more on looking and magnifying the problem than we do even searching for the solution. We will spend more time griping about the fact that the keys are missing than looking for the keys. Some of you did that this morning. That's why you're laughing. Don't look at nobody. That's wrong. You're going to go have Easter lunch with them in a minute, and it needs to be a nice, friendly lunch. So forget the key thing. We get mad. We're angry. We snap. Boom. We do damage. Boom. Why do you always move my stuff? Or we do this one right here. Where are my glasses at? Where in the world are my glasses? I, come here, kids. I know you kids mess with my glasses. You're always touching stuff. Always mess with stuff. Where are my glasses? You kids need to stop messing with my stuff. Honey, where are my glasses? I don't know where you put them, honey. Why don't you look? I, well, you always move my stuff. You need to leave my stuff alone. Why? We become very sharp, very irritable, very angry. And then when we find that they were on top of our head the whole time, let me ask you this. Do we go back and apologize for our outbursts of anger? Sometimes we do, but sometimes we don't. And you want to know why we don't? Is because we say things like, well, you've probably lost them at some point, and, or you've probably done something. Why are we that way? Why do we react that way? Why do we treat people like that? Because we're hurt, because we're wounded, and we're trying to shoulder our own sorrows, and so we take it out on other people that are not deserving of our anger or our irritability or our reaction. And we treat them bad, but we don't realize Jesus carried our sorrows. And this is how we act when we try to carry our own. This is how we act when we try to to act all big and bad like we can handle this. We inflict pain on others just because, really, we just want them to know how we feel. We just are trying to get people to see how we feel. Or we want them to stop talking to us, stop messing with us. And then they won't stop. Your wife or your husband won't stop and they won't leave you alone. So you just lash out at them in anger or you say something very hurtful because you want them to shut up and stop talking because you're hurting and you don't want to reveal your hurt and your pain to them and you don't want to deal with it. You want to carry it. And because you want to carry it, you'll hurt them to get you to back off. Get out of my face. Don't talk to me about that. That's none of your business. You're hurting. That's why you do that. That's why you say that. That's why we act that way. Because we're shouldering our sorrows. We're carrying our burdens. We're carrying our woundedness. I don't care if you're, you've been saved 20, 30, 40, 50 years and you've been coming to church every day of your life. You can still be carrying around wounds. Matter of fact, some Christians are more wounded than some people that aren't even believers simply because they have bottled up and carried offense. And a lot of offense will even happen in the church where they carry it and they bottle it up. And it builds when they run behind people's back and they start whispering and talking and it only builds that anger and that frustration. And one day you're going to blow up and you're going to lose it. If you don't fix it and make it right and give it to Jesus and stop carrying it on your own. And I hadn't said that in any of the two services, so that's for somebody in here. I believe it. Don't point fingers to nobody. It might be you. (laughs) But that's what happens when we try to carry our sorrows. That's what happens when we try to carry our wounds. But carrying our sorrows was part of Jesus' story. As a matter of fact, Jesus said this. Check this out. In the book of Matthew, the 11th chapter, 
We're going to look at Matthew 11 and verse 28. It says, come to me. This is Jesus speaking here. He says, come to me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you're going to find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus said, come unto me, all of you guys that are heavy burdened, that have been carrying your own sorrows, that have been carrying the weight of all of that junk that you've been trying to shoulder on your own. Come to me, all you who are weary, because I will give you rest. And then take my yoke upon you because it'll steer you where you need to go. But it's easy and it's light and it's filled with love and compassion and mercy and grace. And it'll lead you step by step exactly where you need to go. That'll help fix, restore, and correct all of the junk that you've been trying to fix and correct and restore on your own and you've made a big mess. Come unto me, all of you who are heavy laden because I want to give you rest. And he does this willingly. Willingly he carried our sorrows. He was willing to do it. It wasn't something he was forced to do. It wasn't something he was made to do. He chose. And you need to remember that. You need to remember that he was willing. And the fact that he was willing tells me that he chose to receive our sorrows because that was part of his story. That was part of his story to shoulder and to carry our wounds and our transgressions. And yes, that verse in Isaiah that we read is talking about physical healing, but it's also talking about being healed and made whole, spirit, soul, and body. A complete man, a complete woman being restored and not have to walk around dealing and shouldering with all of these things that others have done to us, that we've done to ourselves, mistakes we've made or things that were simply out of our control that we had no say in. It was just things that happened to us or things that were done or said that we carry around and we bottle up and we never allow that light to shine in those dark places in our hearts. We want to try to hide them. We want to try to push people away. We don't want to deal with it because here's what we say. I can handle this. I got this. I got this. Don't mess with me. I don't need church. I don't need Jesus. I don't need God in my life. I got this. I don't need you to tell me what to do, woman. I don't need you to tell me what to do, man. I don't need you to tell me what to do, preacher. I got this. And that's what we say. We reject love. We reject advice. We reject counsel. We reject godly wisdom. Why? Because we want to show, I got this. But in fact, you don't got this. You're carrying around burdens and things that are hurting you and destroying you. And they're hurting and destroying other people as well. Because it's not just about you. It's about those that you're hurting and that you're dragging down with you. And God says there's healing for you. There's restoration for you. You've got to wake up and realize I want to carry your sorrows and your burdens. I did it on the cross and I'm doing it today. I took those sorrows. I took that shame. I took that guilt. I took that hurt and I put it in the grave. When I rose from the dead, I didn't rise up with all that junk on me. It stayed in the grave. Jesus took death, sin, sickness, disease, all these burdens and all of this junk that we're trying to carry around. He took it to the grave and it's still in the grave. It's not there. But you and I are walking around with our burdens and all of our hurt and all of our anguish. 
And what we do is we walk through our own personalized antique store and we look at all the junk that's in there. And we look, oh man, look at all this junk in this antique store of my life. Look at what that person said. I remember this. I remember how that felt. And that's where we live, right there in that old antique store. We live in our past. We live in our wounds. And we never let it go. We won't allow Jesus to clean house. We won't get out of that shop because we stay in there. Because we don't want anybody to see ourselves. So we'll come up to people and, and hey, hey, how you doing? Bless God. Praise the Lord. Happy Easter. How are you? And we're wounded and we're broken and we're hurting. We're trying to play a game. We're trying to act like everything's all right. And we're trying to let people think, that, oh, we got it all together. Listen, we don't have it all together. And we can't handle it on our own. Jesus said, you can't do it. You can't do it. You've got to trust me. You see, it's really our pride that says we can handle it. It's our own pride that says, I can handle it. I got this. The Bible talks about this, First Peter chapter 5. And verse 5 says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. A lot of times we'll take that scripture and just pull that casting your care on the Lord part out. We'll make bumper stickers out of it, little plaques for our house. You know them little things, that, the little stickers that people put with the little cursive writing and stuff, and they put like over their kitchen or in their bathroom or something? Oh, cast all your cares on the Lord because he cares for you. Yes, that's true, but you're missing the part about humbling yourself. You're missing the part about humbling yourself because God gives grace to the humble. God gives what to the humble? Grace. God gives grace to the humble because humility says, I ain't got this. Humility says, I need you, God. I need your grace bigger than I need my own results from my own efforts. You, I need your grace. I can't do this. I submit myself to you and say, I can't do this. Then you're in the position to be able to cast your cares on the Lord. It's not just some magical saying that we say, cast all your cares on the Lord. Whoa, that worked. If you want this stuff to work and you want it to be real in your life, you've got to humble yourself and start to trust God and say, his ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Because if I keep going down the same road trying to fix this and do this myself, I'm still going to be wondering, where's God at? Why am I still burdened? Why am I still carrying all this junk around? Because we're saying, I got this. I don't need you, God. I got this. God gives grace to the humble because you're positioning your heart to receive grace. Cast your cares upon the Lord, for he cares you you say i can handle it but jesus says listen i have handled it by setting you free when i bore all this junk on the cross jesus says i have handled it when i took death to its grave and i rose again we will never find that peace we will never find that rest that forgiveness that restoration in our lives even as christians until we learn to become thankful for what he has done and put our hope and trust in him because as long as we're trusting in ourselves, we're going to get our own results. We have to trust in Him. Matter of fact, the Bible says this in Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to turn over there real quick. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15 says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you were also called in one body, and be thankful. And be thankful. 
Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. And then he says, be thankful. You see, when I began to grow in his grace, when I began to understand what he did for me and how he carried my sorrows, the thing that's going to help me grow in that understanding is being thankful, is recognizing that what he did finished it. When he was on the cross and said, it is finished, he meant it. He meant that it is finished. What is finished? All this junk that you've been carrying around and that mankind has been carrying around all of their lives, all of their existence. He said, I paid the price for their sin. I paid the price for the effects of that sin. I paid the price for that hurt, for that shame, for that guilt, for that condemnation. I paid the penalty for that. So stop carrying it around and just be thankful. And the more I grow in thankfulness, the more I grow in understanding of his grace, and the more I understand I don't have to carry the weight of this around. I can walk out of that antique shop, close the door, say, shop closed, never going to open up again. We are closed for business. Take the thing off of the, uh, of the building and say, we're never going back there again because that's who I was. I'm in Christ, and all things have been made new. That's what he says. All things have been made new. Matter of fact, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, Therefore, if any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. That gives me hope. His story gives me hope. It gives me hope that my story is not over. His story gives me hope that I don't have to live with the weight of all of this junk for the rest of my life. His story lets me know that there is a light that shines in the darkness, in the middle of your darkness, in the midst of your hopelessness. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And he desires to bring healing from the wounds of abandonment, from the wounds of abuse and neglect, and to set you free from addiction, and sin, and guilt, and shame. He wants you free of depression, anger, fear, and worry. We asked the question a little earlier today, did Jesus really carry our burdens? Did he really set us free? Yes, he did. He set us free. He really did that. He really did carry our burdens and our sorrows because we cannot carry them alone in the darkness. He desires to make all things new. And he wants you and me to get to a place in our lives where we trust him. Where we believe that when he said he made all things new, that he meant it. That when he says you're worth something, that he meant it. That you're valuable. That you're worth something. And that it's not over for you. You know, a lot of times we hear people speak messages and teach and talk a lot about God. And we hear a lot about God. And we may even know a lot about God. I don't want to know a lot about God. I want to know God. I don't want to know a lot about the Easter story. I don't want to be able to just speak it and recite it because I remember some flannel graph in Sunday school. I want it to be real to me. I want it to be something that turns into not just something I've learned in my head, but it turns into a conviction of my heart. 
And when it becomes a conviction of my heart, then it's real. And how you get there is you just start being thankful. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did for me on the cross. Because I couldn't do it in and of myself. And as I position my heart and I humble myself with a thankful, an attitude of gratitude that's thankful for his goodness, that's thankful for his mercy, then I grow in my understanding of just how big his mercy and his grace is. And you may be looking at me today and say, Pastor, you don't know. That sounds great. That's fine. But you're the pastor of a church. You got like a direct line with God. That's not how it works. You can talk to God just as much as I can. I don't have a special direct line because I have pastor in front of my name or because I'm standing on this stage. You can pray just as well as I can pray. Maybe you've been in church longer than me or a shorter time than me. Maybe you know better words to use, but that doesn't make the prayer any more effective because you used a fancy word and I didn't. Did you know that? God doesn't go, whoo, listen to that guy. Man, he uses some big words. Go get the dictionary, Gabriel. I don't, even, I don't even know what that means. That is an awesome word. Wow, how eloquent does that person speak? No. Matter of fact, when God chose Moses to deliver the people of Israel out of Egyptian slavery, Moses had a stuttering problem. He said, I can't do this. I can't speak well. I, don't you know I stammer when I speak? God said, don't worry about it. It's not about you. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. It's not about the fact that I chose you because you're such an awesome speaker. He said, I chose you because I chose you. I chose you before you were formed in your mother's womb. I chose you. You're worth something to me. You're valuable to me. And God knew you would be here today. And God knew you needed to hear this message today. He knew I needed to hear that message. He knew that even though I'm the pastor that's speaking it, that I still need to hear it just as much as anyone else in this room because I'm just as human as everyone else in this room. You don't know me, pastor. You don't know what I'm struggling with. You don't know what I'm dealing with right now. You don't know the hell that I have to go home to. Jesus does. And don't say that I don't know the struggles that you're going through and I can't identify with those struggles because guess what? You don't know me. You don't know what God's delivered me from. You don't know what I've come out of. You don't know what I've dealt with. So just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I'm any better or worse than you are. Because guess what? Jesus paid the same price for me that he did for you. I can tell the value of something by what someone pays for it. I can look at your house and go, oh man, wow, this house must be really valuable because you paid a lot of money for it. Or this car must be really valuable because you paid a pretty penny for it. Yeah, because we equate that value with what we paid and Jesus is equating the value of your heart and your life with what he paid. And what did he pay? What was the price? His life. That's what he paid. So when you see someone trying to put worth on you or tell you how much you're worth or that you're worthless or that you're somehow a second-class Christian because you know you're not as spiritual or good as this person or that person, that's a bunch of bull. Because Jesus paid the same price for you as he did for Billy Graham. He paid the same price for you that he paid for me. He paid the same price for you that he paid for all the world. That means we're all worth the same in the eyes of God. We just have to choose him. We just have to choose him. Because God so loved the world that he paid for, that he gave in exchange 
for the world, His only begotten Son, that whoever would choose Him, whoever would believe in Him, wouldn't die, wouldn't have to be burdened, wouldn't have to carry around these sorrows, wouldn't have to walk with chains on the rest of their life, but they could be free to live the life that God had for them. God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, that whoever believed in Him was not going to perish, but they were going to have everlasting life. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He wants you to walk free. He wants you to walk forgiven. He wants you to understand that you are new. He desires to make all things new. That's why I said that in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things, somebody say old things, are passed away. And all things, say all things. How many things? Just like a few things, like select things in our lives? No, all things. All means all. Old means old. What does old mean? It means old. It means whatever is in my past, no matter how old or fresh it may be, it's still old. He said all those old things, they're gone. And behold, or be aware, or recognize that all things are new. Close and shop on the antique store. We're done. And, and it ain't like those furniture businesses that are going out of business for like 20 years. You see those signs on those furniture businesses? Going out of business. You was going out of business 20 years ago. That is, that is like a slow, painful death. That's not the kind of closing shop I'm talking about. I'm talking about closing up shop, and I want to live the life and walk into the newness that God has for me. And that's one that's free of shame, that's free of guilt, that's free of pain, that's free of living with the constant misery and regret of my past. That doesn't mean that there won't be trials facing you. Because how many of you figured out, even though you accept Christ and you walk with Him and you trust Him, you're still going to face through trials. The difference is, is that I know where my hope is now. And I know that when I'm in the middle of a struggle or a trial, that it's not over for me, that God hasn't given up on me, that He has said, it is finished. I've already carried your sorrows and He's going to carry me through this. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, in the darkness, in the evil, with all the junk that's surrounding me, I'm not going to be afraid because I know you're with me. I trust you. Because I know that your rod and your staff are going to bring me comfort because your story has given me hope. Even when it was prophesied about hundreds and thousands of years ago, even where the prophet Isaiah would say, surely he bore our sorrows, our mental anguish, our anger, our wounds, our bitterness, our unforgiveness, our scars. He bore those on the cross. And he left him in the grave. So I want to ask, will you be honest? Will you be transparent? Because see, part of the deal is, is that we've got to be real with God. God sees right through our hearts, but we've got to be honest with him and say, God, I need you. Because I'm making a mess over here. And I need your help. Because I can't fix this, and I don't know how I'm going to fix it. I don't know how I'm going to live with the constant regret or the pain or the anger. I'm tired of living with that feeling of emptiness or with no direction, with no hope, with no purpose. I need to trust in Him and allow His story to give me hope. Will you be willing to admit that you're ready 
to quit trying to be good enough or trying to shoulder the weight that has made you miserable? Because His grace heals. His grace forgives. His grace will alleviate the pain, the burden, the care, the shame if you simply trust. And position your heart to grow in grace by being thankful for what Jesus has done. Surely you bore my grief, my sorrow, my sin, my shame. You were chastised and beaten and bruised for my iniquity. Even the sins that I committed on purpose, knowing I was doing wrong, purposefully doing wrong. You forgave me of those things. Even when I've tried to abuse your grace, I've transgressed against your heart, you still died for all of that. Because you bore my sorrow, you bore my shame. The book of Ephesians, chapter 2, last scripture I'm going to read this morning. And verse 4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our sins and our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace you've been saved. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come that he might show the exceeding riches of his grace, of his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. You didn't do it. The Bible says it's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Think about that. God prepared beforehand for you and I to walk in his grace, to walk in his mercy. He desires for us to walk in these things. We just have to realize we don't have to walk carrying the burden and the sorrow and the shame and the guilt and all the condemnation. Matter of fact, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. He put death to death. He put sin to death. He put your condemnation that you constantly feel. He put it to death, but you've got to trust him. You've got to believe on him. That gives me hope. It should give you hope that whether... You're about to become a Christian here in just a few moments by receiving Jesus into your heart. Or whether you've been coming to church, you've been saved your whole life and you've been carrying burdens, condemnation and sorrows and grief. And you're about to realize that He wants you free. Because He does. He wants you free. It's His grace that heals. His grace that's amazing. His grace sets us free. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. My chains are gone, I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns. Unending love, amazing grace. Would you bow your heads just for a moment?
you're here in this place and you're ready to be a recipient of that grace. You say, I'm ready to put my faith and my hope and my trust in Jesus. I want to become a Christian, a Christ follower, one who has dedicated their life to follow Christ and to trust in his work that he finished on the cross and not trust in myself. I'm ready to give my heart to Jesus and trust in him. If that's you in this place, I just want you to lift your hand up as high as you can right now. Just let me see you. I see your hands all over this place. Oh, my dear God, just raise your hands and say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. Church, help me this morning. Would you pray with me? Say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, become the Lord and Savior of my life. I give you my heart. I confess you as the leader of my life. Save me. Forgive me. Restore me. I trust in you. Come in my heart and make all things new. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I want you to say this with me. Say, it is finished. Come on, say it again. It is is finished that means that who you were is over with it's done it's gone it's now you're living a new life in christ come on somebody if you believe this you need to stand up and you need to shout and you need to give god some praise and you need to thank him for the good things that he's done